Hello, and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. You can find me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros, and you can find some of my other work on The Dream Shake on SB Nation, the Houston Rockets-affiliated blog, and I'm also an analyst and insider at NBA Lead. Um, if you don't know what NBA Lead is, um, or you don't really regularly follow this site, you really should. We're a, really, we're a fast-growing digital media platform that's going to be giving and providing a lot of great NBA content this season in great you know ways to digest that content before we begin i'd like to start off with a little quick video That's our good friend Stephen A. Smith giving another ridiculous take on, on ironically, first take uh, when Carmelo Anthony was uh, labeled the 15th best player in the, in the NBA, according to Slam Online, I believe. Good old Stephen A. still with those outdated takes. I mean, when he wanted to defend Carmelo Anthony, he, you know, he pointed to uh, what Carmelo averages in scoring per game. And then Max Kellerman threw out like 12 players, and that Stephen A. Smith eventually agreed that he would take over Carmelo. So... That could be a staple on our show, that video, because first of all, if you haven't seen it, you have to go on YouTube or whatever and, and just search it up, uh, search up first take Stephen A. Smith, Carmelo Anthony, 15th best player. You have got to see the facial expressions of Stephen A. when he's yelling. Just an all-time great video. Uh, so before we get into today's episode, I'd like to remind you that the 94 Feet Report, the podcast and all of its episodes are brought to you by Fan Essentials. Um, Fan Essentials is a really great monthly subscription program uh, for sports. Um, what you do is you sign up, you go to fanessentials.net, I believe, and you click on uh, your, your the league, you click on your favorite team within that league, um, and then you choose a subscription package size, so small, medium, or large, I think, um, and then each month you'll get a, a box of your favorite team's gear shipped right to your door. I've tried it for the Houston Rockets. It's great. It gives you unique, cool, interesting gear. Uh, that you really can't find anywhere else. And uh, if you use promo code 94FEET, that's the number is 9 and 4, and then FEET, all caps, uh, you'll get 30% off at checkout. So check out Fan Essentials and get some of your favorite team's gear shipped right to your door. So in today's episode, um, this is October 17th, um, you know, we've already finished our divisional previews. The past three episodes, we've done two divisions per episode. Um, so in those episodes, I gave uh, a rundown of the team's offseason, uh, kind of a quick summary of where the team is going into the season, some key storylines for that team, and then I ultimately gave a record prediction and a fantasy bust and stud. Uh, so if you want to see what I think each team, how I how I think each team will finish, you can check out those three episodes um, that cover all six divisions and, and teams. Um, we still are over a little over a week away from real meaningful NBA basketball. Um, this season does kick off on October 25th with a couple of games. So next week we'll be previewing the first week of games, the big games, big storylines, etc. But for this week, really, we're going to have a couple of, of main topics or main segments. The first one, we're going to talk about the preseason, some preseason impressions, some good teams, some bad teams, etc. I know they don't mean much, but... There's nothing else to really talk about right now until the real 
the Louisville season kicks off next week. Uh, second, we're going to talk about J.R. Smith's new contract and the lack of a new contract for Donatus Mondiunis. Uh, then we'll also be I'll be giving away uh, my awards predictions for the year. So who will win Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and ultimately MVP. And I know that the MVP one will be a hot take. And then the fourth topic or segment that I have planned is one that I have been I feel needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed in 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 every podcast. I think I'm going to talk about James Harden at the end of the show. I'm going to save about 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how long I think I'm going to rant about it, about James Harden. He is, I wrote an article for the Dream Shake um, that's also on NBA Lead now. It's, it's titled, James Harden is the most underappreciated player in the NBA. And I'm just going to talk about that article, and I'm going to talk about why I think that he's the most underappreciated player in the NBA, and some recent discussions I've had with people who I consider to be smart basketball brains that just completely disrespect and, and insult James Harden as a Rockets fan who's who knows how valuable James Harden is I really couldn't sit back and watch him or sit back and listen anymore so I thought I'm going to save some time in today's episode to rant about that but anyways let's get into our preseason or my preseason impressions uh, starting off with some teams that have looked pretty good so far in the preseason um, okay let's start off with well the team I just was talking about Houston Rockets they actually lost their first preseason game last night against the Grizzlies in double overtime, which dub, overtime in, in preseason should not be allowed. There should be a new rule in the new CBA, no overtime in preseason, and that should go along with shortening the preseason because the Rockets, they're 4-1, and one, and they still have, I think, two preseason games left. Why? Why do they need to play seven or eight preseason games? Why does any team need to play more than four preseason games? You know, it's time to shorten the preseason. Anyways, so the Houston Rockets, they're 4-1, and one, and um, last I checked, they have about a 20-point differential, point differential in their in their victories. Um, let me see if that's still true. Oh, okay, so it actually lowered last night because of the loss to the Grizzlies. Now it's a, it's at 15, um, which is still the best in the NBA in the preseason. Their offense has looked great. Um, they're averaging 125 points per game, which I know one game was against the Shanghai Sharks, and then there were some really sloppy games against the Pelicans in China, and then this last game against the Grizzlies went to double overtime, which obviously would inflate the offense. But the offenses look good in terms, I'm talking about in terms of James Harden playing point guard, his distribution of the ball, the shooting around him, uh, the, the the new additions in Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and Nene. Nene has looked great, a lot better than I thought he would look. Gordon looks like he's going to be a lot more significant than Ryan Anderson, actually, um, because he's he's shown some really good playmaking and pick-and-roll play, um, Eric Gordon. So he's going to be really valuable, especially off the bench. Um, and, you know, the, team, the, the team's defense has looked bad at some points, but at some points it's actually looked competent, uh, which is all you really need or want from the Rockets this season. You know, I, I've been saying this for a while. I mean, I talked about it in the Southwest Division preview I did uh, two weeks ago, and I'll talk about it when I talk about James Harden later in this episode. I mean, I think the Rockets will get 50 wins and be and be a, the fourth seed in the West, and I think that's going to happen because they're going to have a top three offense and a defense that's around 15th through through 17th in the league. You know, kind of league ag- average. I think that with increased effort and determination and motivation. This team has good enough defenders and capable players that can that can manage to be an average or barely a blow or mediocre defense. And you combine a top three offense with a mediocre defense, you're going to get a good team that's going to win 50 wins. Um, 
I think, you know, over the past week or so, Forrest Walker, um, who contributes to Red 94 podcasts and is a Rockets fan, was going through some numbers and, and basically figured out that a team that has a top five offense um, usually wins 50 games. So you take a Rockets team that's, it's, I mean, they were seventh last year. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible for them not to move into the top five. And if they have any slight improvement defensively, just more effort and more determination, they can be a 50-win team and, and a four seed. So the Rockets have looked good. Um, they've had some blowouts. Their offenses look great, and their defense hasn't looked as bad as I thought it would be. The Celtics are also 4-1, and one, and they look really good as well. Um, Al Horford looks like a perfect fit in the pick and roll. He's spreading the floor. He's playing defense. Looks like a great team leader. Looks like he's meshing really well with the team and Isaiah Thomas, and their defense looks really good. And actually, the, the Celtics team defense... Uh, will play into my prediction for defensive player of the year. So that could be a hint of who I think is going to win. Um, oh, no. I mean, another good team so far in the preseason. Well, it's it's the Warriors. I mean, duh. I mean, <laughs> um, they're 4-1 as well. Um, but the thing is that, you know, the Warriors, obviously, like, the Warriors are going to be great. But during the preseason, I mean, they've had some young guys step up. Like, Patrick McCall looks really promising. He had a really good game the other day uh, with that buzzer beater to win the game. He looks like he's going to be a promising fit and piece of that core for the next couple of years, which is great to see from the Warriors. I mean, if they're drafting well and winning in free agency, this team's unstoppable. Um, but also the pieces look to fit. I mean, there are sometimes some possessions so far in the preseason where, you you know, you can't guard them. I mean, you can't keep track of Curry, Thompson, and Durant. And then there's, you also got Draymond Green, who's a competent scorer offensively. They spread the four like crazy. You got four guys on the perimeter who can hit threes, and then you still got Zaza Pachulia inside, who was almost an all-star last season and can still seriously contribute in the league. So the fact that they got him for less than three million dollars is just ridiculous, um, and really unfair. And I know a lot of uh, we heard a lot of league executives were pissed off that the Warriors were able to get Zaza for less than three million. But hey, he wants to win. Of course, he's going to jump on that team just like David West did, the Ring Chasers, you know. But Zaza still contributing at a high level and just was a perfect perfect addition for this team even though they had to lose Bogut so the Warriors do have looked really good in the preseason so far so those are three teams that I think have looked really good they're all four and one and their offseason moved I've looked to pay off with the Rockets with their great offense the Celtics with Horford fitting in with good defense and the Warriors with their unstoppable pieces and young promising players now let's talk a little bit about some teams that have looked pretty bad in the offseason um, I'll start off with the New Orleans Pelicans. They're one and three, and uh, I got to see them twice because they played the Rockets twice in, in China, um, Shanghai, and Beijing uh, this past week. Which, by the way, I mean the Rockets came home to play the Grizzlies last night, and they looked so tired and, and dead. And I, I mean the broadcasting was saying that some players, you know, were waking up at 3 a.m. and really didn't know what time it was and stuff like that. I just think it's time. I think you either do the China trip a week earlier, like the first week of preseason, or you don't do it at all. Because I know you want to s- spread the influence and, and of um, of the NBA game, but I mean these players, the travel wears them out. James Harden looked so slow last night, just out of it. You know, Ryan Anderson was not hitting any shots at all. I mean these guys looked like they were they had no idea what they were doing. Um, so, anyways, I saw the Pelicans twice against the Rockets in China. Um, one of those games, Anthony Davis got injured and, and is out 10 to 14 days. So he's, in, I mean, he might play for the season over, but he, he is questionable right now. Um, they look, they looked really bad in those two games against the Rockets. I mean, especially the second one, the Rockets were cruising up by 25 at halftime before it got into garbage time, pretty much. And the thing with the Pelicans, not only have they looked bad in the preseason, but you have to, you know, you you we know going into the season they're going to have major issues and injuries to start. 
um, the season. So, you know, Drew Holiday, um, wishing all the best for his family, but Drew Holiday will foreseeably be missing a couple of months, maybe most of, tw- maybe all of 2016. Uh, you got Tyreek Evans, who is slated to come back early to mid, maybe even late November. That's um, basically the first month of the season, if his recovery goes well. Um, so they're going to have some, they're missing two key parts to start the season. Anthony Davis is another injury. I mean, we know it's, it's only 10 to 14 angle sprain, but I mean, someone posted on Twitter a just a running list of Anthony Davis's injuries every year. And I mean, he, I think every part of his body has been injured at some point in his career. It's just really crazy how, how injured he gets. Um, so I, you got to wish for health for Davis. I mean, if, if they lose Davis early in the season, this team is going to be a train wreck. But Davis is going to have to really perform well to carry this team for at least the first month or so before Tyreek Evans comes back. So the Pelicans have looked pretty bad. Another team that's looked pretty bad, the Sixers, obviously. Um, they're 1-5. And, and the Sixers, like, the thing is that, you know, well, I'll get into this for my Rookie of the Year prediction. So this is another hint about who I'm picking for Rookie of the Year. But Joel Embiid is here. He's playing NBA basketball games. And he is showing tremendous p- potential. Uh, his coach, Brett Brown, uh, likened him to Tim Duncan. He sees a little bit of Duncan in Embiid, which is probably one of the highest praises you can give a young player right now. Embiid is, I mean, the guy's going crazy. He's blocking shots. He's, you know, he's got great post moves. He made Andre Drummond and, and Boban Marjanovic yesterday look like little kids. Um, and Embiid's even hitting threes and, and spreading the floor a little bit. So, and besides Embiid, though, the Sixers have looked atrocious. So, really, if you're going to watch the Sixers this year, if you're going to watch them on League Pass, you know, the only reason is basically for Joel Embiid. Um, another team that looked pretty bad. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm recording this on October 16th before the Thunder play today, but the Thunder right now are 1-3. and three. Um, They've had some injuries. We all know Cam- Cameron Payne is going to be out for the, the first part of the season. Steven Adams uh, got injured when they were playing those games uh, in Spain, and they looked uh, they looked pretty bad uh, without him. And there are some serious doubts about this Thunder offense. Um, there's not enough spacing. Uh, Oladipo and Westbrook are not good three-point shooters. We don't know who's starting at small forward. Is it Kyle Singler? Um, he can he can shoot a little bit, but you don't really want to rely on Kyle Singler, especially if you want to be a playoff contender. Um, so is it Andre Roberson who can't really shoot? Then who do they start at power forward? Um, you know, they got Sabonis, the rookie, but they also got Ilyasova. They probably want to keep Cantor coming off the bench. If this team has injuries, they can really struggle. But if without injuries, I think their, I think their offense is gonna is going to struggle. And, you know, Westbrook will put up his numbers. We all know that, but there's a lot of people picking him for MVP, and I will talk about why I'm not picking Westbrook for MVP later on, and I'll give you a hint. It's because I don't think the Thunder are going to be good enough. Um, so, yeah, so those are some teams that I think have looked pretty bad in the offseason and some teams that, I look, that looked pretty good or better than I expected or, or just as good as I expected in the case of the Warriors. Um, and, yes, I mean, we know the preseason doesn't really mean much. Um, in any sport, um, but there's nothing else to really talk about right now. I mean, it's the only games we've actually seen. The only time we've seen there's new players and new teams on the court implementing their new systems in the case of the Rockets, implementing their new players in the case of Horford and Durant, um, dealing with issues like the Pelicans, uh, having a, a promising rookie come like Embiid and, and Oklahoma City meshing without, you know, the, in the post-KD era. So just some general preseason impressions. Um, of course, these really could mean nothing come the season time, and each team could perform drastically different than they look in the preseason, but it can sometimes be a barometer for what you're going to see in the preseason in terms of what offensive sets they run, how their defense is, what their effort is like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, 
so next we'll be talking about J.R. Smith and Donatus Manayunas. Um, just some, you know, kind of notes and updates about what's going on in the NBA. Just some general stuff before we get into our awards predictions in just a little bit. All right, so if you missed it, Friday night, um, J.R. Smith re-signed with the Cavs for four years, $57 million, but it's really actually a three-year, $45 million deal because there's a team team option slash non-guaranteed fourth year when J.R. Smith, I believe, will be 34 at that time, so the Cavs obviously want to make sure that they have the control for that season. Um, So in the end... I mean, it's interesting because J.R. Smith, you know, won the negotiating because, the, or the, the, you know, the kind of the holdout, um, because, you know, the rumor was that he was, he was, he wanted 14 to $15 million a year while the Cavs were only willing to go to 10 to $11 million a year. And so, um, ultimately Smith gets his $15 million a year and essentially wins the negotiations with the Cavs. And the big reason that happened was it was a rumor uh, going around on Twitter that the 76ers actually, um, because only about six teams, I believe, had cap room for Smith, um, and 76ers were one of them, and that they started last week, towards the end of the last week, um, driving up the price and urgency uh, for Smith. You know, they were willing, uh, the rumor was, I think they were willing to offer him a, a big deal, like this kind of deal, essentially, to get Smith, um, and essentially that, you know, that pushed the Cavs button, um, basically, you know, LeBron was like, you know, we really want J.R. Smith here. He's really grown as a player, um, as a leader. Um, he played a vital role in the in the two, in the two finals teams, one that won the fi- uh, championship, one that didn't. Um, so in the end, LeBron wanted him. Smith has developed as a player and a leader, and the Sixers drove up the price and urgency, so the Cavs basically gave in and gave him this $15 million a year. Um, I mean, Smith is a vital part of the team. LeBron loves him. The rest of the team loves him. And uh, he's a great three-point shooter. And actually, it's really interesting because over the past, I'd say, two seasons, J.R. Smith has actually developed into a good defender. And he's you can essentially call J.R. Smith a 3-and-D guy, a 3-and-D wing in the uh, NBA now. So, I mean, a couple years ago, you thought about him as a crazy three-point chucker, just really looking to score, not be a leader, not play defense, etc. And now, look at the image of J.R. Smith. He's an NBA champion. He is... Um, contending for six man of the year all the time um he's a great three-point shooter still he's improved his defense he's improved as a leader his teammates love him i mean this guy is great i mean i mean it's incredible to see how he's changed his image he's a solid he's a good three and d player now and his teammates love him and he's viewed as a leader on a championship team so it's just incredible how jr smith has kind of turned around his image and his performance and that is why he got his deserving four years 57 million dollar deal with the Cavs. and now the Cavs are finally reunited as a team everyone is signed back or etc and they are going back for their to defend their title against the nba another guy basically now without with jr smith being signed the last kind of essential marquee, uh, in a way, free agent, is Donatus Manayunas. So his qualifying offer expired on October 1st, um, and Demo and, and his agent continue to hold out that, I mean, I, I assume that they want a long-term deal with stability, but the Rockets aren't willing to do it because of his back, and, well, we'll get into this, is there really a need for him, especially at a long-term deal? And it's interesting because... No other team has thrown the money at Demo. As I just mentioned, there are six teams that have the cap space for J.R. Smith, and you can assume that Demo is asking for 
maybe even half of what Smith wants per year. And no team like the Nets has, has thrown money at Demo to force the Rockets um, to match the deal or not match the deal. And Daryl Morey's just sitting back in his office, you know, just waiting for a team to set the price for Demo because uh, as we all know, or Rockets fans know, Daryl Morey always lets the market dictate the price of the free agents. So, um, you know, the, the the Mavs signed Parsons to an extreme deal, uh, was it two seasons ago? And Daryl Morey just does not match that because um, the Mavs set the price too high. Now Daryl Morey's waiting for a team to set the price for Demo and no team's doing it. And now Daryl Morey's going to sit back and wait until essentially Demo is going to have to cave in if he wants to be back on the Rockets and get another contract. I think it, 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 in his and his best case for Demo is just to take, he should have taken the qualifying offer, but now he should just sign a one-year, what, three to four million dollar deal or something with the Rockets, play in this Mike D'Antoni system that looks perfectly tailored for Denonis Moniunas as a big stretch the, four, uh, stretch the floor, power forward or center, drive up his value and either force the Rockets to give him a nice long-term contract next offseason or go to another team. You have to take that one-year deal with the Rockets, play in the system that gets people paid. Everyone talks about D'Antoni. You know, he's not the greatest coach, obviously has his deficiencies, but it's well known that his his system gets players paid, um, like Jody Meeks in, in LA, etc. I mean, so Donato's money should really take the the one-year deal with the Rockets and drive up his value in, in D'Antoni's system and then get another long-term um, more stable, more lucrative contract next offseason. I mean, as of right now, Calvin Watkins, the ESPN um, Rockets reporter, says nothing is going on with the Rockets. They haven't, they aren't really even negotiating at this point. The Rockets are playing their preseason games, and they've got a week until the, they kick off the season, and they're preparing without Donatus Moniunas. I mean, I think that the Rockets, in order to improve their ceiling, need Demo. But over essentially, they don't, especially because of a new development of Sam Decker playing minutes at power forward. Um, so if really the Rockets don't really have a real backup power forward for, for Mike D'Antoni's system, um, Montrezl Harrell I know can play backup forward, but they've been playing him at center during the preseason. And, and yes, you can play him at the power forward, but he doesn't really spread the floor or pass like Demo. And you know that Ryan Anderson and, and Nene will get hurt throughout the season. Um, in which case you're going to have to rely on on the backup uh, front court guys or or Capella for center, but the backup power forward position you're going to have to rely on a lot for this uh, for this team. And I think that they would the Rockets would increase their ceiling if they re-signed Demo. But um, you know, with Mike D'Antoni saying he's going to look at to play Decker at power forward, and he has done so the past two preseason games, and Decker has actually looked really good. Decker, Decker actually looked really good against the Grizzlies, making smart cuts, um, hitting a three or two, you know. Um, so Decker looks like he's going to get some minutes at power forward, which kind of reduces the risk or the need, sorry, of, of Donatus Moniunas. And the Rockets have a rookie, uh, Kyle Wiltshire, from Gonzaga, undrafted, who, who has been hitting his shots in preseason, and I think might sneak his way onto the roster just as another body at power forward who can spread the floor. He's not the passer. He's not a good defender at all, but he can hit threes and spread the floor, and Mike D'Antoni loves shooters. So if they if Wiltshire make the team and Decker gets minutes at power forward and, and Harrell gets minutes at power forward behind Anderson and then you got the Nene and Capella center rotation, I think you're pretty much set um, overall um, for minutes-wise, which kind of reduces the need for Demo. And, and some people have been asking on Twitter, you know, even if they sign, re-sign him, is there really a, a spot for Demo? I think that they can make a spot for Demo, especially if they re-sign him. Um, if he commits to Mike D'Antoni's system, and D'Antoni obviously wants him there because 
D'Antoni and Montanus have been going have been in the offseason going on lunches and hanging out a lot and talking about their system and stuff like that. So you know, D'Antoni really wants Montanus, and Montanus really, I think, it's in his best case or best interest to re-sign with the Rockets for a one-year kind of cheap deal and, and boost up and drive up his value in D'Antoni's system that gets players paid and then next season gets his worthy, you know, long, lengthier, more lucrative contract. But as of right now. Calvin Watkins says nothing's going on with the Rockets. So with J.R. Smith signing for four years and $57 million deals on Friday, Giannis Moneyus is essentially the last marquee free agent available on the market. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there's only a week, a little over a week until the season starts. How long will Dima hold out? Will he go overseas? Will he not play this season? I don't know what's going on. It's very interesting. But that's the deal with Dima and J.R. Smith. And in a moment, we will do, or I will do, my awards predictions for the season going through each award, and then we'll talk a little bit about James Harden. All right, let's get into the award predictions for the season. You know, everyone's been doing award predictions or record predictions or season predictions because, you know, in October during preseason play, you don't really want to talk about preseason, but you do want to talk about NBA basketball, and that's where predictions getting to get into it. So just want to preface my predictions by saying these could be totally wrong they could be totally right i have no idea some of them are going to be hot takes some of them are, are not maybe um but i'm just going to give out some award predictions that i just really think will just come just happen this season and some of them i'm just hoping happen and you'll see which ones i'm just hoping will happen but well, let's get into it and let's start off with rookie of the year I talked about it, I hinted about it before when we were talking about the 76ers and their preseason play, but I think Joel Embiid, yes, that's right, that's Embiid with about five eyes. Um, if you if you follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spirals, you will see that every time I talk about Embiid, I always type it with five eyes because it's all, you always got to say Joel Embiid. Um, anyways, actually, that's, that's incorrect, actually, we should be saying Joel, trust the process, Embiid. Um so, yeah, I think Joel Embiid will win Rookie of the Year. Uh, he looks really good in preseason so far. I mean, he's showing flashes of just absolute brilliance. I mean, the way he handled Andre Drummond and Boban Mojanovic last night uh, in the preseason game was just incredible to see. He makes them he makes them look small, really. It's incredible. Um, Joel Embiid is blocking shots. His defense looks really good. There was that clip of him actually staying and handling Steph Curry on the perimeter and forcing him to a, a miss. I mean, that's just incredible footwork for a guy who's, what, what 7'2"? Um, and then Joel Embiid has shown a lot of a good post moves. He had that kind of dream shake, pump fake against Boban that got him the N1 last night. Um, he's had some post fadeaway moves. He, he has some go-to post moves, which is really refreshing to see because I really do enjoy a big man who can play in the post. And having been a Rockets fan and having been forced to watch Dwight Howard struggle in the post with a, a lack of post moves, Joel Embiid is just a refreshing player to watch. Um, and he's even hitting threes. I mean, Joel Embiid, I think in his first game, just he was running up the court, um, slowly gets the ball at the top of the key and just swishes a three. I mean, the guy can spread the floor. He's hit a, lot, a couple of long twos. I mean, he can shoot, he can block shots, he can play in the post. Yes, he's he is a rookie and he's ex- inexperienced and he makes mistakes and he fouls a lot, but this is rookie of the year we're talking about, and that's, that's okay. I mean, as long as there's a good narrative with Embiid, as long as he, you know, doesn't get too much of a minutes restriction and, and kind of a games restriction. I think that Embiid, if he continues to play good to solid defense, shows some post moves off and hits some threes and just overall 
you know, is a fun guy to watch. I think that he can win Rookie of the Year. Um, so, yeah, I think that Joel, hashtag trust the process, Embiid will win Rookie of the Year for the 76ers. A lot of people were expecting, uh, you know, either Ben Simmons to win it, but he's obviously going to miss a couple of months most likely. And there are some rumors that they're going to just hold him out the whole season, which, you know, could be in, in his best interest. We'll see how he recovers from that injury. Um, a lot of people are picking Chris Dunn. I think that Tom Thibodeau actually will play Rondo just too much for Dunn to have enough time. I mean, a lot of people are concerned about Joel Embiid's playing time, but as the preseason has gone on, Brett Brown has increased his minutes restricted and is even thinking about not sitting him out of back-to-backs. So if Embiid plays the games and you know eventually builds up to like 25 minutes a night, I think he can contribute enough to get Rookie of the Year. I think Chris Dunn will be overshadowed by the other young guys in Minnesota and Ricky Rubio, who I think is... I think Ricky Rubio is underrated. A lot of people are saying, you know, just trade Rubio. You got done. But, you know, rookies don't often contribute enough, especially if the Timberwolves have lofty goals and expectations of making playoffs. Um, a lot of, some people are picking Buddy Heald, and that's probably a, a good choice. He was my backup choice, just mainly because he's going to have the opportunities there, especially in the early start of the year when Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans are out. Uh, Buddy Heald will start at shooting guard, I believe. Um, and he'll be giving the green light to go out and score. Um so I think Buddy Hill, well, he was my second choice, but I think Buddy Hill is also a good choice as well. Brandon Ingram is coming off the bench to start the season. I just don't see him developing quickly enough to win Rookie of the Year. So ultimately, I'm going to give it to Joel, hashtag trust the process, Embiid. Let's do uh, six men of the year. This one was tough, actually. Um, last year was Jamal Crawford. Um, I thought about giving it to Crawford again. I thought about Eric Gordon on the Rockets, actually. I think that if Gordon plays 70 games, um, he'll put up enough to to be in serious contention for six men of the year, if not win it, but I just, I just don't think he's going to play enough games, really. Um, but I'm going to give it to Andre Iguodala, a guy that many argued should have won it last year, and he certainly deserved it last year, being a great six man on the on the Warriors bench. And let's preface this by, by just, I mean, respecting the kind of demotion, quote-unquote, that Iguodala took. I mean, he used to be a go-to guy in Philadelphia, was a go-to guy in Denver, gets traded to the, the Warriors, and Sooner or later, Harrison Barnes is starting. Iguodala comes off the bench as a six-man. He took that role like a champion. Just an absolute professional, great attitude. Just continue to contribute. Ultimately, is a champion now and, and will look is looking like to be a, a multi, multiple-time champion with the Warriors in the coming years. Um, but I think that the Warriors bench is really being overlooked. So I talked about it earlier that Patrick McCall has looked good in the preseason. He could fight his way into the rotation. Um, Ian Clark has shown something a little bit, but they've also got, they still got Sean Livingston, Iguodala, who I think will play such a great role off the bench for such a great team that I think will get six men of the year, but they got Sean Livingston, Iguodala, you got David West there, I mean, this team has players on the bench, and they're not going to play, they're going to stagger the minutes of the big four, quote-unquote, so, you know, Curry could play with the bench, and then... KD and Drum and Draymond can come in, and then Thompson can come in, and, Dr- and Draymond can leave. They're going to stagger the minutes of the big four, so the bench will not always be playing by themselves, or probably will be never be playing by themselves, which is why Iguodala will probably look good next to the certain stars that he gets his time to play with. So um, I think Iguodala will put up really nice production off the bench and will be playing, um, and is playing on an overlooked bench. He's certainly the best guy on their bench. And it'll be a really good team. So I think that all those factors, considering the fact that Iguodala deserved it last year, or, can, or you can argue he deserved it, Crawford was good as a six-man too, but I think all those factors of the bench being overlooked um, play, and Iguodala putting up good production alongside some star players on a really good team will is the perfect storm for Andre Iguodala to win six-man of the year this season. 
So, uh, Coach of the Year, um, you know, it's just really hard to not give it to Steve Kerr, but I don't want to. I don't want to be that boring guy that gives it to Steve Kirk because the team wins anywhere, you know, 65-plus games because that team is stacked anyways. And I think that a, a refrigerator or a clipboard could coach that team to 65-plus wins. We saw Luke Walton last year coach him to an undefeated start, and we don't even know if Luke Walton's a good coach. So I think Kerr is – I actually – I mean, I think Kerr is a good coach, but it's just so hard to measure a coach's true value when he's got a team that's this good. So anyways, I don't want to be that boring guy that gives it to Steve Kerr, though he's the favorite to win it, most likely. Um, anyways, I'm going to give it to Brad Stevens, actually. And if you haven't to- been able to tell by now, I'm really, really high on the Celtics this season. Um, this will play into my defensive player of the year uh, award prediction. I, I believe I predicted the Celtics to win... Um, actually, let me look at it right now. I predicted the Celtics to win 53 games this season. So I, I'm so high on them, I think I'm going to actually boost that up to 54, 55. Um, but I think that if the Celtics get 54-plus wins and the, voiders, the, the voters for the awards will avoid the Warriors players and coaches, um, I think that Brad Stevens can really get Coach of the Year. He's one of the best coaches in the league. He's young. He's I think he's 39. And he's he's got a really good team this year. Um, the addition of Al Horford is going to be great. It's not going to push him over the edge in, in terms of beating the Cavs, unless the Cavs have injuries. But I think Stevens will coach them to about 54, maybe even 55 wins. And I think that that narrative of the Celtics, you know, the Celtics being a real true powerhouse, again, will lead Stevens to get coach of the year. And as I move on in a smooth transition to defensive player of the year, I think Avery Bradley will get defensive player of the year. I really wanted to give it to Kawhi, but I just, I just don't want to give it to him three years in a row. I, I know the voters probably will um and there really isn't voter fatigue voter fatigue only really applies to mvp and you, you could argue coach of the year but it doesn't really apply to defensive player of the year we've seen dwight howard win it three times in a row and Kawhi is certainly the favorite to win it three times in a, in a row and i would not be surprised if Kawhi does win it again but again as i just said i don't want to be the boring guy that gives coach of the year to steve kerr defensive player of the year to, to Kawhi leonard etc that's why i want to go out on a limb and say defensive player of the year will go to avery bradley you know, he's actually voiced his opinion kind of publicly that, you know, he deserves to be in serious consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he argues that he's been overlooked a lot over the past couple of seasons, especially as a defender, and I would agree with him. Avery Bradley is a really good 3 and D player. And the thing with him is that, you know, maybe there is voter fatigue for Kawhi this season. You know, a lot of people are a little bit more down on him that he hasn't performed in the postseason. Some people are even, you know, again, these are not the voters that are saying this, but Sometimes these ideas could creep into the minds of the voters. You know, some people are saying, is Kawhi a system player in San Antonio? I don't think he is, but maybe there's potentially voter fatigue for Kawhi. But I think that this kind of really good narrative that I'm talking about, which will lead to Brad Stevens getting coach of the year, will also translate and carry over into Avery Bradley getting defensive player of the year. Um, I think that the Boston defense will be elite. I think they can be a top three defense. I really think that they could be serious, serious, really good defense. Um, and they have other good defenders. There, Horford's a good defender. Uh, Crowder's a, is a really good defender, and and even Isaiah Thomas, you know, holds his own for his height limitations. But Avery Bradley's the real defensive stalwart, guarding the opposing team's best player. Um, and so I think that with Boston's defense being elite, I think it could be top three. With it being elite, with this being the good narrative for the, for the Boston Celtics, you know, them being back as a powerhouse, with there potentially being some voter fatigue for Kawhi, maybe, you never know. Um, maybe Kawhi has some injuries, I don't know, something like that. 
And with this kind of really good narrative of coach of Brad Stevens winning coach of the year, I think we'll translate over to Avery Bradley winning defensive player of the year just to switch things up again. I don't really want to be that boring person that gives the kind of typical awards prediction. So Brad Stevens for coach of the year, Avery Bradley for defensive player of the year. And now it's time for MVP. This one is interesting. This one, I think, is is the hardest to predict this season, and a lot of people are struggling with it. We've seen all kinds of predictions, you know, from LeBron realizing that it's an open race to come back and win one more, from Kawhi winning his first one, to, uh, well, the one I've seen the most is Russell Westbrook, which I talked about earlier and I will talk about soon, about why I think that's kind of just a, a bad pick. Um... I'm going to go with the hot take. I've been, I've said it. I don't want to be the boring kind of predictions guy. I've already given, given some weirder ones with Avery Bradley. I am going on a hot take, going on a limb. And this is wishful thinking. I'll be honest. This is wishful thinking. I think and I hope that James Harden will win MVP this season. Yes, the beard. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. James Harden, MVP. Yes, I know I'm a Rockets fan. That obviously gives me, uh, obviously makes me have some bias about James Harden, and this will lead into my fourth segment that's coming up after this one of the show when I talk just straight up about James Harden being underrated. But I think James Harden's going to have a monster year, a monster year. Let's let's preface this opi- opinion or prediction by going through the other candidates for MVP that have been picked. LeBron James. So. A lot of people are picking LeBron, you know, you know, some people think, you know, oh, LeBron can realize that this race is wide open because Kevin Durant going to the Warriors really hurts both of their values, and there would definitely be some voter fatigue with Curry, and the narrative with the Warriors would just be that they're villains, and I think the voters will avoid Warriors for MVP, um, and then there really isn't a, a clear go-to number two for MVP, really, so I think LeBron realizes that, you know, this is this is my time to win another MVP, boost my my legacy and my resume. Not that he needs to do it, but another, another MVP trophy doesn't hurt, right? Um, and some people have said, you know, LeBron will come back with a vengeance to, to really get another MVP, but I think that he's just going to cruise through the regular season again. Um, this is the main reason why a lot of people aren't picking LeBron. If I knew that LeBron was was playing the regular season like he did in the playoffs, I would I would pick LeBron on the MVP, no doubt about it. And listen, LeBron cruising through the regular season still puts up monster stats on a really good team. But he cruises, he sits out games, he rests, he knows the ultimate goal is championships, and that comes in the playoffs. So MVPs don't really matter anymore for LeBron James, which is why he's going to go on cruise control, let Kyrie and Kevin Love handle this team significantly in the regular season. And while LeBron is resting himself for the playoffs, and that really takes him out of the MVP considerations. Kawhi Leonard. Um... So Kawhi Leonard was actually my backup pick for the MVP award. Um, I really like Kawhi. I don't think he's any kind of system player. And yes, he has some had has had some disappointing playoffs, especially last year when they needed him in the clutch moments to, to play offensively, and he just couldn't deliver. But I mean, this guy is a great two-way player, and he's going to be on what I think will be the second best team in the Western Conference. Um, and I think that uh, he has, I think he has ten to one odds in the MVP voting. Um, but I mean, he was my second pick. He's just a great two-way player on a um, what's going to be a really good team. Um, but I think that you know, I think that as I mentioned, I picked Avery Bradley, but I think it's most likely, more likely that Kawhi Leonard gets Defensive Player of the Year. 
Um, I don't think he's going to get both defensive player of the year and MVP. And I just think that um, they still got guys there like Aldridge and Gasol who will kind of not overshadow Kawhi, but just take a little bit away from him offensively. Um, and, you know, the voters really do acknowledge offensive stats a lot more than defensive stats. They all know that Kawhi is a great defensive player, but his offensive stats aren't eye-opening compared to the other guys like LeBron and Westbrook and Harden. So I think that just like some voter fatigue in terms of Kawhi getting defensive player this year will kind of limit him getting MVP. Um, and then I just think that I'll talk about why I think James Harden would be just a little bit better choice overall. But Kawhi Leonard was my backup pick for MVP. Now let's talk about Russell Westbrook. Oh, man. Wow. A lot of people, a lot of people are picking Russell Westbrook for MVP. He has the the best odds. He's the odds-on favorite for MVP. People are, are going crazy on Twitter. Oh, Russell Westbrook is going to be angry Russ putting up triple doubles and monster stats and monster dunks and crazy athletic plays. You know, he's going to win MVP. He's going to put up monster stats. Um, well, the main reason, obviously I know Russell Westbrook's going to put up monster stats, triple doubles galore, he's going to be angry, it's going to be great to watch, great to watch, fun, exciting Russell Westbrook moments, but does that lead to enough wins for the Thunder? So I believe for the past 30, 35, even 40 years, I believe that the MVP has come from a top two seed in the in each conference. And you might say that that'll rule out James Harden. And yes, I do not think the Rockets will be a top two team in the West. But I think that history will change a little bit. But not change significantly enough where the Thunder, who I think will be a bottom of of anywhere from a 6 through A seed in the West. I believe I have them as the 7th seed in the West. I believe. Um, But I think that... Or the 6th seed. But I think that the Thunder will just not get enough wins. I think that the Thunder will um, actually, I can actually look back and see what I, what I thought. Oh, yeah, so I picked the Thunder for 46 wins. After seeing them in the preseason, I, I want to kind of lower that to 45 wins. Um, in that Northwest Divisional preview, we did have Alex Sparopoulos, um on the show, and he predicted the Thunder, I think, get 45 wins. So let's say we go with that 45-win prediction for the Thunder. That's not enough wins. Um, first of all, that that's, what, maybe even an eighth seed? Um, at best, a seventh seed maybe in the West? That's not enough wins for MVP, even with Westbrook's numbers. And second, another thing about Westbrook, I think that you know people are going crazy about this angry Russ triple double revenge tour, but I think that Westbrook has has kind of developed. You know, that was two seasons ago when he was going crazy when Durant was injured, and yes, he'll be angry and he's annoyed that Durant left and, and the Warriors are getting all this attention. But I think he realizes that getting his other players involved, like Oladipo, like Adams, he has a really good relationship with Adams. Getting the younger younger guys involved will be better for the team overall. So Westbrook might not go monstrous with his numbers. I think he will have monstrous numbers. He'll have so many triple doubles. But I just think that the main thing with Russell Westbrook is that he's not going to get enough wins. The Thunder are not going to get enough wins to warrant Westbrook to be MVP. He'll be top three for sure. But that's the differentiation I have between him and James Harden. Now let's talk about Harden. I think the Rockets, as um, I've said in the, in the Southwest Divisional preview, and I've already said before in this episode, I think the Rockets will have 50 wins, and they'll be the fourth seed in the West. That's optimistic, but I think that they can do it with increased motivation and, and determination on defense and this great offense that looks great with Mike D'Antoni coaching and Harden at point guard. Um, so we all know 
I already listed, I already went through LeBron, Kawhi, Westbrook, and the Warriors guys as to why I don't think they'll be MVP. They're, each person has a serious knock on them. And yes, Harden's knock, Harden's knock is probably the same as Westbrook. You know, will they get enough wins? But in my opinion, I think the Rockets will get enough wins for history to bend and break a little bit. And Harden to be the first MVP from a non-top two team in a conference in, in the past 30 to 35 years, I believe. And really, I just think that, you know, not only will Harden put up monster numbers, you know, he could put up anywhere from, I think he could put up 29, 10, and 6, you know, 29 points a game, 10 assists per game, 6 rebounds per game, and over a steal per game on, like, two and a half to three threes per game, just monster numbers. It's a kind of, I think it's a redemption year and a redemption narrative for James Harden. He was left off all three All-NBA teams last season, and um, a lot of players, I mean, on the starters, uh, J.E. Skeets, um, when they, one of their burning questions for the upcoming season was who will have the best redemption year or something like that. And Jay Skeets picked James Harden kind of to, I mean, no, I mean, this will get into my fourth segment about why Harden I think is so underappreciated and, and so underrated, but, um, Harden's image took such a severe hit last season and that carried into the off season. I mean, people don't even think he's a superstar anymore. I mean, people think Kyrie Irving is better than him. Obviously, it's not it's not a hot take. I think Russell Westbrook is better, but like Amino Hassan said on the True Who podcast last week, I think Harden's better than Westbrook. Um, but anyway, so I think Harden will put up monster numbers, have a redemption year narrative, and the field is so wide open, and each and every other candidate, LeBron, Kawhi, Westbrook, and, and the Warriors, all have a serious, significant drawback for their MVP honors. Um so there we go. That Those are my award predictions for the upcoming season. Just to recap them, Rookie of the Year, Joel, hashtag trust the process, Embiid, Sixth Man of the Year, Andre Godala, Coach of the Year, Brad Stevens, Defensive Player of the Year, Avery Bradley, and MVP, James Harden. And now I'd like to talk just a little bit more about James Harden in just one second. All right, let's talk about James Harden here. I recently changed my Twitter profile bio to the last sentence being adamant James Harden defender because over the past couple of weeks, I have found myself in some serious arguments and rants about James Harden. Um, you know, I've been talking to people who work for NBA lead. We have our little group chat talking just NBA basketball and at least once or twice a week, some other player is brought up in relation to James Harden, or I bring it up in relation to James Harden, or someone leaves him off a list of superstars, and I just have to really go off. I mean, it really frustrates me to see how much or how severely Harden's image has just been destroyed because of one season. I'm not going to defend James Harden for everything. His defense at times is pathetic. He has some serious issues in terms of locker room chemistry. But we are talking about one of, if not the best scorer in the NBA, who not only can kill you with his scoring, is a great playmaker. I mean, the guy averages seven and a half assists per game. He, James Harden was sixth in the league last year in assists per game, more than Steph Curry, more than Damian Lillard, more than LeBron, etc. And he's moving the point guard with more shooters around him. I mean, I already predicted just now, I think Harden's going to average 10 assists a game. So anyways, I wrote an article um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, 
on September 17th, actually, it was posted on The Dream Shake on SB Nation. It's titled, James Harden is the most underappreciated player in the NBA. You should all really check it out. It's a nice long feature that I really loved writing and put some thought and effort into. And just to give you some background, this actually, I was inspired to write this article um, a couple weeks ago because on Twitter I saw this uh, video from Mixed Tape Videos, um, which is now transitioned to NBA Lead and does make great quality videos. I mean, Sydney, uh, who does the videos, is really great. Um, but this video, I could not sit back and just, just let it be. It was basically a video talking about James Harden is overrated, basically calling him just a good player. Um, and the main problem I had, it started off with him with his free throws. And essentially, the one of the arguments was made that James Harden scores around 8 to 9 points per game from free throws. And the argument was that that translates into getting a third of his points per game average from flopping. I'm sorry. Uh... Drawing fouls is not always flopping. Yes, Harden flops, but guess who else flops? CB3, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, every star player in the NBA. (laughs) Every star player in the NBA flops. It's part of the game, whether you hate it or you love it. I don't know anyone who loves it, but it's part of the game. But Harden does not flop all the time. Yes, he gets 10 free throw attempts per game. Does that mean he flops, what, five times a game to get all those free throw attempts? No. He actually legitimately gets fouled, and people who watch the Rockets games, like me and other Rockets fans, will tell you he gets legitimately fouled, and sometimes actually doesn't even get the foul calls. I'm so I just I just don't see this kind of flopping argument as such a significant drawback of James Harden's superstardom. I mean, I, I I'm sorry I, I touched upon it in the article, but there was not this much outrage when Kevin Durant consistently led the league or was top three in the league in free throws made and attempts at each season. I mean, if you're going to argue that Durant wasn't looking to get fouled back then, then that's just wrong. I mean, you know, we do remember, we do forget that Kevin Durant perfected that rip-through move on the jump shot uh, to the point where the NBA actually changed the rule. That was because of Kevin Durant. Um, so the flopping rule is ridiculous. And we all know the defense. Yes, the defense is, is bad by Harden. But is it really that terrible? Yes, he falls asleep on defense off the ball. On the ball, he can be... Average and dare I say above average, especially in 2014 2015. And let's take a look back at his defense, quote unquote, defensive struggles last year. Harden last year at a negative 0.4 defensive box plus minus and 2.6 defensive win shares. Let's compare that to Damian Lillard, a negative 2.2 defensive box plus minus, so almost, almost two whole points worse and only 1.4 defensive win shares but Lillard seems to get a more of a pass for his poor defense than Harden why is that did Lillard play as many minutes as Harden no did he have as high a usage percentage as Harden no did he put up better numbers than Harden no and he led the trailblazers to three more wins than the Rockets yeah and let's talk about Russell Westbrook's defense now, the numbers actually point, the, the advanced numbers say that Russell Westbrook is a pretty good defender. And a lot of people think that, but that's misleading. In the article, I include a video of Russell Westbrook's pathetic defense in Game 6 again, in the conference finals against the Warriors. Just not trying, getting back on defense, not even trying, uh, which really, uh, Coach Nick at B-Ball Breakdown, who does the video, really argues that that was one of the significant reasons they lost the game. Um... Westbrook's crazy. See, the thing with Westbrook is that because they, everyone thinks he's such a, and th- this was actually brought up by Amino Hassan, who one said Harden is better than Westbrook, but two went on Sports Nation last week and said 
that this key point that because Westbrook has these crazy dunks and crazy athletic plays and he's a better and he's more athletic than James Harden because he has these crazy dunk vines they hide his bad defense if Harden dunked crazy like Russell Westbrook those would be the vines you would see from Harden on a nightly basis but he does not dunk like that Harden plays a different style of game he draws free throws He's more efficient. He's more analytical. So Harden doesn't dunk crazy, and no one's going to vine Harden's free throws attempts, so what do they vine? His bad defense or his defensive lapses. If Westbrook played like Harden did, Westbrook's vines would be his his poor defense uh, falling asleep and stuff like that. I mean, let's talk about the social media. Harden gets a severely bad rep from, from, from and on social media from fans who don't really watch the games. Uh, people who you know follow Bleacher Report, they have horrible, horrible tweets about James Harden's bad defense and stuff like that. When James Harden is locked in, as he was in 2014-2015, he posted a defensive box plus minus of 1 and 4.2 defensive win shares, all while averaging 27, 7, and 6 per game and carrying the Rockets to the second seed in the Western Conference without Dwight Howard for 41 games, without Terrence Jones for 50 games, without Patrick Beverly for almost 20 games, and eventually led the Rockets to the Western Conference Finals without Beverly and Monty Yunus in the playoffs. It's just incredible. I mean, people think in 14... So when I was talking with, um, with my fellow co-workers at NBA Lead, um, you know, we were talking about the 2014-2015 Rockets, and these people who don't watch the Rockets kind of just point to, oh, Terrence Jones had a lot of potential. Dwight Howard was there. Yeah, Patrick Beverly, he's got Ariza. Those are real NBA players and good players. Dwight missed 41 games. Jones missed about 50 games. Beverly missed about 20 games. And Demo was, Monty Unis was out for the playoffs. Ariza was the only guy who played um, consistently next to Harden at 82 games. Joey Dorsey started. Joey Dorsey played 70 games at like 20 minutes a game. Tariq Black had like 12 starts. Joey Dorsey had like 15 starts, and yet they won 56 games in the second seed, led to the Western Conference Finals. James Harden has been carrying the Rockets for four years, and in that time since he got joined the Rockets, Harden is third in the NBA in VORP, which is value over replacement player. That's ahead of players such as Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Harden has increased his usage percentage and minutes played almost every season with the Rockets, but his production has continued to jump. Last year, career high in points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game at 29, 6.1, and 7.5, all while being left off all three NBA all-NBA teams. I think that Harden's going to have a revenge tour. He knows how bad his rep has been, or his image, has, how much of a hit has taken. I think Harden will average something like 29, 10, and 6, lead the Rockets to 50 wins, and the fourth seed in the Western Conference and will ultimately shut up all the haters. I mean, just, just quickly, on Twitter last week, there was a poll, who would you rather build your team around, James Harden or Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving was actually winning for most of the most of the duration of the poll until James Harden eventually won with like 56%. James Harden should win that poll 70% of the time. There was another poll, who would you rather, uh, who would you have right now, Russell Westbrook or James Harden? Not a surprise, the average fan picked Russell Westbrook, like 53%, which is closer than I thought it would be, actually, considering how bad Harden's image is now. But Amin Al-Hassan on the True Who podcast and on, on um, Sports Nation had some really good points. Harden is a better shooter, a better and more efficient scorer, a better playmaker, and when they're both locked in, better defensively. As I just touched upon it, Westbrook's crazy athleticism and dunk vines hide his bad defense. Harden doesn't have those crazy athletic dunk vines, so Harden's vines are more are 
his defensive lapses because no one's going to find just his three-point shots or his free throws. Amino Hassan kind of really dispelled... Um, I can't remember who else was, was sitting next to Amin who, who said Westbrook was better than Harden. Um, but and if, typically the guy who said Westbrook was better than Harden just said, oh, there's two sides of the ball. Yeah, and Amin Elhassan shut him down really quickly by saying Westbrook is so overrated defensively. Watch the video I included with the article. Again, these are all just my rambling thoughts. If you want to hear them and read them in coherent sentences, go to the Dream Shake or just type in James Harden is the most underappreciated player, underappreciated player in the NBA. It's on the Dream Shake. It's now on NBA Lead. You can find it on my Twitter profile. It's my linked tweet to my profile. These are just my rambling thoughts about James Harden. Over the past two weeks, I've seen ridiculous polls and results on Twitter. I've seen, I've had countless arguments where James Harden is left off the off, the, off of a list of superstars that includes Anthony Davis and stuff stuff like that. I mean, James Harden is a superstar. He is a superstar. Few players could carry a team like he had, he did in 2014, 2015, and even last year. Yes, they got 41 wins and they were horrible, but there were some serious chemistry issues. With some, some of that can be blamed to Dwight Howard. Some of it, of course, is on Harden, and he carried that team to the playoffs single-handedly at, at some points. Players, uh, he was sometimes playing with below replacement player level players. Of course, Harden has deficiencies. He's not a he's not a good defender. Um, off the ball, he can be an atrocious defender at sometimes. He has turns the ball over too much, and he's not as great a leader as you would want from your franchise player. But he is an offensive superstar, and when he's locked in in 2014 and 2015, and what I predict will be this season, he will be an average defender. Dare I say above average? James Harden is a superstar. I believe he will win MVP this season in a revenge narrative tour, and the Rockets will be win 50 games and be the fourth seed. So that about does it for our episode of the 94 Feet Report today. I'm your host, Eric Spropolis. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Just to recap, my award predictions, I think Embiid will win Rookie of the Year, Iguodala will win Sixth Man of the Year, Brad Stevens for Coach of the Year, Avery Bradley for Defensive Player of the Year, and James Harden for MVP. Again, I want to remind you that this show, the 94 Feet Report, and all of its episodes are brought to you by Fan Essentials. If you use promo code 94FEET at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first purchase of Fan Essentials. You can find me on Twitter, at um, Eric Spiros. You can find my work on the Dream Shake, especially my article about James Harden being underappreciated. You can also find my work on NBA Lead. I'm an analyst and insider there as well. And just to quickly remind everyone, we do currently have a campaign up at Teespring um, selling some merchandise with our logo on it. Uh, we got mugs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, um, stickers, etc., um, and all the proceeds are going to go to the podcast so we can improve our production, get our name out there, continue to grow as a podcast. Um, I really want to grow this podcast, the 94 Feet Report, into a really cool, fun, unique NBA weekly podcast that covers what you need and want to know about the NBA on a weekly basis. So if you want to, if you feel the need to help out the podcast in any way, you can go to Teespring. You can find the link on my Twitter or our Facebook page. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, and we do have a Twitter. The Twitter is at the 94 Feet Report. The Facebook page is the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast, and you can find the links to the Teespring campaign and get yourself some cool merchandise there. So thank you for listening. Um, I'm your host, Eric Spropolis. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. This is the 94 Feet Report. Have a great day.